Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. This morning, I want us to look at specifically our mission, the mission of the church. To do that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. If you have a copy of the scriptures and you want to begin to turn there, this is uh, Jesus. He's been um, living in obscurity for about 30 years. And then he um, is baptized by John the Baptist. And if you remember, there's the, the spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And there's a booming voice from heaven that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And everyone hears this voice. And it says that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness, the desert. And he is tried and tested for 40 days. And, and after that 40 days when he is tempted by, by Satan himself and he's tested in every way so that he could be the perfect savior that can uh, sympathize with us as humanity, he's, he's literally walked in our shoes, right? Then he begins this ministry. And this is at the very beginning of his ministry. And it's a mission statement moment for Jesus. It's in Verse 16 of Luke chapter 4, if you want to begin to read with me. It says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He, as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, I, I liken this to uh, if you have a hometown, if you grew up going to a church in your hometown and, and you're back from college or whatever and you go back to your home church and you're in that home church, you're the, you know, everybody knows you. This is Jesus. He's back in his hometown. He's with his family, all the familiar people that know him. And in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus, back in his home church, back in his home synagogue with his family, he's the, 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 you know, he's the golden boy. They've known there's something special about Jesus. And so they hand him this scroll, and he goes to what in our Bible is Isaiah 61, and he reads Isaiah 61, which reads like the messianic mission statement. If, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want you to write down is this, God has a mission. 
God has a mission, and Jesus is going to express that mission. He's going to quote Isaiah 61, and then throughout the rest of his ministry, he's going to go on and to fulfill every last thing written in Isaiah 61. He's, he's telling them, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. When I was in college, I uh, was a part of a college ministry called Crosstalk at what used to be called Southwest Texas State uh, University. Go Bobcats. Do we have any Bobcats in the room? I know we have a couple. Yes. Do we have any Aggies? Any Aggies in the room? No? Oh, I see a couple. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know. We're, Southwest Texas was not like the big, cool school in Texas, but it was a great school. And I was a part of this college ministry. And here we are in uh, this ministry, and I am a brand new believer. I'd been a believer for a couple years at this point. And uh, there's a girl in this ministry that has a heart for homeless. And she kept coming up to us after the services and saying, yeah, I really want to do something for the homeless in downtown Austin. I really want to do. And, you know, I, I was, you know, a new believer and I was trying to be a good Christian, right? I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm like, okay, if you get a group together, I'll go with you and I'll go down to downtown Austin and we'll, we'll do some, some kind of ministry for the homeless. And so she's like, okay, so she got some other people together, and she got a Coleman stove, like the camping stove, right? And she gets the, the cans of soup from Walmart, a, a few things to heat up some water, some hot chocolate. And we're going to go down into the park in Austin, downtown Austin, and we're going to start warming up soup and hot chocolate. And we go, and we just find people that kind of been sleeping in the tree line, right? And we go, and we, we say, hey, we've got some things for you, some hot chocolate and food. And sure enough, they all begin to... To come out, and um, we started having conversations, and they were interesting conversations because some of them were still half drunk, right? I could still smell the the, the alcohol. There was a, sometimes the strong smell of urine, like they had just been bombed the night before, and you know, just all this. And then we began to talk and ask them about their stories and. As I was learning about these people, I'd begin to sense just the, the complicated mess of humanity. You ever felt that way before? When, when you just begin to really learn about people's stories and you get into like the details and you realize, wow, this, man, it's just, it's so complicated, right? We, we, we started ministering to these people and we had some beautiful moments awesome conversations, breakthrough moments. But after a few weeks of doing that, I stopped going. Because to be honest with you, it was just a little bit too much for me. I'm like, I'm just a college student. I don't know how to help these people with the deeper things and the deeper issues. I can give them soup and I can pray for them, but I don't know what else to do. And I got so overwhelmed that I just stopped going. And, and here's the thing about us as human beings is that when we are, are presented with real brokenness and need, like real need by people, it's almost too much for us. It, it gets a little bit overwhelming. We, we see the complexities of people's stories and their backgrounds and their histories and, and the patterns of life and, and the things that got handed to them and then mixed into all that, our own sinfulness, and it just becomes a tangled web, and we just don't know what to do with it. In fact, I think for many of us, when, when we sense real brokenness and need, we, we almost feel like, ah, you know, like when, when you ask someone how they're doing and it's like, like they're really honest with you and you're like, 
okay, see you later, right? You know, it's like, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what to do. But what's interesting about the mission statement of Jesus is that the very things that make us want to kind of step back are the very things that make Jesus lean in. The things that repel us from one another are the very things that attract Jesus. I want us to look at these statements that we find in this mission statement of Jesus. He he started in, in verse 18. He quotes from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To preach good news to the poor. Now, if you are uh, around, uh, uh, we're about to start hearing this word a lot in an election year, but you hear the word evangelical, right? Evangelism, evangelize, evangel. It's, this word is, is transliterated from the word that is right here, preach good news. That's where we get the word evangelism. It's from the Greek word here, preach good news. That would be to proclaim, like proclaim good or glad tidings. It would also mean to bring good news. This is what Jesus came to do, to bring us good news, to proclaim to us something new, and it's good for us. And specifically, he came to bring it to the poor. And I think we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be poor? Because I've known people that are poor in material things, and yet in their heart, they are proud. They're puffed up. They don't need you. They don't want you. You're, you know, it's like this pridefulness, even though they might be at the rock bottom of, the, of material poverty, they cannot receive a thing because they're too proud. Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus uses the very same word when he says it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you remember that from the Beatitudes? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, I've known people that are rich in material things, and yet when you talk to them, you realize they are lowly in their hearts. They're poor in spirit. So is he going to preach good news to people that are materially poor? Yes. But it's only the poor in spirit that can receive it. He came to preach good news to the poor. We also find connected to this to bind up the broken hearted. When there's a poor in spirit, that part of us that we know is lacking, it's empty, I'm poor here, I'm, I'm broken hearted. See, Jesus came for that thing inside of us to preach good news. He goes on to say that he uh, has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Those, those captives would be people that would be, um, they, they would be prisoners of war, possibly, uh, someone who's been enslaved, right? And, and again, is he talking about people only who have been enslaved physically? Like we know in our city, one of the heartbreaking things that's happening is that there is sex trafficking and there are, there are women and children enslaved right now. In our city, in Houston, I think even here in Richmond, this is happening. 
And Jesus came to release those who are enslaved. And that stirs my heart. And I want to do something about those who are physically enslaved. But we also know there's a, a spiritual component of enslavement. We, we find it when Paul's talking about uh, the law and about grace and about sin. He, he talks about this in Romans 7. And, and he says this, that I am of the flesh sold as a slave to sin. 2 Peter 2, he, he says it this way, that we are enslaved by whatever has mastered us. See, if there's anything in our lives that has mastery over us, that's not the Father, right? If we're enslaved by anything else, that's what Jesus came to release us from, to deliver those who are captive or enslaved. He, he says that he came for recovery of sight to the blind. Now, Throughout the ministry of Jesus, do you remember the, the mud he made and he, he smears it on the blind man's eyes and he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam and he comes back seeing, right? Jesus heals eyes, physical eyes. We see it throughout his ministry. In fact, even today, I believe that the Lord is still doing miraculous things. We hear stories of people receiving their sight. It blows our minds, the power of God to heal physical suffering. And yet, we also know there's a spiritual component. We, we read it in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Paul says, he says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age. Who's the God of this age he's talking about? He's talking about Satan, the adversary, the enemy, the, the, the one who is working in spiritual ways, in spiritual realm to blind, is what he's saying, blind those who are unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of of God. So not only is Jesus coming for physical blindness, but we know spiritual blindness. The most uh, famous hymn uh, that has ever been written is Amazing Grace. Y'all know that, that song, right? right? I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus came to give recovery of sight, not just to physical eyes, but to those who the enemy has them in this blindfold, and he wants to remove the blinders, to give sight to the blind. And then he says, to set the oppressed free. This would be literally like to open the prison door. Have you ever had something in your life that just felt like it was, a, it was, it was like a, a prison bar. You were, you were chained up. You were locked down. This thing had a hold on you, and it's like you couldn't stop. You were stuck. You were imprisoned by that thing. And this is what Jesus has come for. He says to open the prison door to set free the oppressed. In the Greek, the original language that this is written in, when you look at the word oppressed, that word oppressed would be um, literally broken or broken in pieces. That Jesus came for the broken parts of us. The stuff that we, we, we start sharing that with each other and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
wow, that's a little much. I, I wasn't prepared for that. And Jesus, that's the stuff that he leans into. He came for the broken places in us. And then verse 19, I think this is so beautiful. And this is where Jesus stops the quotation. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This would be like a new era of blessing, like Jesus is going to announce something, he's going to bring or preach or proclaim something, and it's going to bring a new era of blessing to the people of the earth. And this word favor, it, the, the definition of grace, one defi de definition of grace is the unmerited favor of God. What Jesus is bringing to us is a message of grace. There was a British conference. This would have been decades ago, and, and this was happening in Britain. Experts had come from all over the world, and it was a conference on comparative religions. And they were asking, okay, what is the unique belief of Christianity? Like, what sets it apart from all the other belief systems of the world? And there was a lively discussion happening. And uh, one person said, incarnation, right? God comes in flesh. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, comes in flesh. Surely that is the unique belief of Christianity. And they begin to debate that and say, no, 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 no. There's, there's other belief systems where a deity takes a, a bodily form. So that's not, that's not unique to Christianity. Well, another person says, uh, I, I know, it's the resurrection, right? Jesus rises from the dead. Now, now, that is the unique claim of Christianity. And another was like, no, actually, there are other belief systems where uh, a person is, is revived back from the dead. So that's not a unique belief system to Christianity. And about this time, C.S. Lewis wanders into the room. And, and, you know, he could tell there's tension, there's a lively debate, and he says, what's all this ruckus about? And they begin to tell him, you know, there's this debate about what's the unique belief system of Christianity or the unique belief to Christianity, and he says, oh, that's easy. It's grace. You see, what Christianity speaks, what Jesus proclaims is something far different from any other belief system on planet earth. Every other belief system is basically a trading with God. I give you some good deeds, you give me blessing, right? Uh, karma, right? If, if I do some good, good will come back. If I do bad, bad will come back to me. If you are, if you are a, a member of Islam, right, there's, there's a law, Sharia law. You, you have to uh, uphold the law, and this is how you bring favor onto your life, salvation. But only do we find in Jesus something unique. It's the year of the Lord's favor, un merited, unmerited, you didn't do anything to deserve the favor of God that came to you. It is grace. If you have been in church for a while, or you grew up in the church, I, I referenced this last week, you may have heard the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense grace, that Jesus took all the punishment and wrath that I deserved 
Let's just start with me. I deserved it. I should have been the one whipped and beaten and marched to a cross and crucified. That's what my life has earned me. That's what my choices have earned me. Instead of me having to pay that penalty, Jesus takes that upon himself so that he can shower down grace that we didn't deserve. You see, this grace is what speaks to the person who's poor inside, where we're bankrupt. He says, no, 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 no. It's not about the stuff you have or don't have. I have something for you much bigger and better than that. It's the one that speaks to the captive and to the enslaved, and it, and it opens the door, right? It, it sets them free. It's the one that speaks to the blind and says, you can be healed, but you can be, like, healed in your soul because of the grace of God. It opens the prison doors, the favor of our God. See, our God has a mission. Jesus has a mission. Uh, back in the very, very beginning, we were doing some prayer and worship gatherings, and we looked together at this a story in Acts 8. If you've ever read this before, Philip is, um, he's on a, uh, he's out and about, I guess, one day, and, and it says the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, go that way. So he starts walking that way. Okay, I'm going to start walking that way. And then he, he gets down and he sees a chariot and, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch there and he says, go near that chariot. The, the, the spirit says, go near the chariot. And, and he goes near the chariot and, and he hears the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and he begins to explain to the man what it means. And that Ethiopian becomes a believer in Christ that very day. And that what fascinates me about that story is that Philip wasn't out there saying, God's done so much for me. I need to get out there and beat the streets, and I need to tell everyone what Jesus has done. It's not like he went out there thinking, I'm going to go win some people today. What happened in the story was that the angel of the Lord says, I want you to go over there. And the Spirit of God says, go stand next to that chariot. The whole time, God was initiating the mission. He is the God who is on Mission. So if God has a mission, that means for us as a church, we have a mission. My, my second point this morning is that if God has a mission, then our mission as the church is his mission. God's mission is the church's mission. We, um, we read about this in the Great Commission of Jesus. You know uh, the, the famous passage in Matthew, probably Matthew 28, 16 through 20, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Mark, he states it a little bit differently. He says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But John he says it in a kind of a unique way. We find it in John 20, verse 21. The disciples had been gathered together. They're, they're in a room. Jesus has been resurrected. He's been appearing to them and to people, and they're together again. And it says that he just appears in the room, right? The resurrected Jesus, I guess he steps through the wall, and then he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Meaning, 
the mission that God gave me, I'm giving to you. It's like the relay runners, right? You run the relay in that first lap, right? The second person's getting ready, and they kind of get that lead, and then they hand off that baton, and they're carrying it into the next leg. And that's us. We are carrying the baton of God's mission into our city, into our time, into our place, into our friendships. We are the carriers of God's mission. He's passing the baton to us, the church. We are to be about his business. There's a, a man by the name of Jurgen Moltmann. He's written extensively. He said this, it's not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. I think of it this way. If God is the surgeon... The church is the scalpel. If he's the one bringing the healing, we're the instrument of the healing. If God is the gardener, the church is the rake, right? It's the, it's the watering can. It's the plow. It's the thing that he's using to bring about his work in the earth. The church is the instrument of his Mission, God's mission is our mission. The way that we say that as a church, um, as Renaissance Church, is that we exist to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel. Remember that word uh, uh, evangel or evangelize literally means bringing good news, that we bringing the gospel into all of life and all the earth. That God's given us this mission, this mission of Jesus that he states and he quotes and he demonstrates in his life. He's handing that baton to us and it's to bring good news into all of life. Like every part of our lives. It, it changes things about us, right? It changes how we think and how we and how we relate to one another, how we relate to our spouse and how we relate to our children. It, it changes where we go and why we go there and how we drive on the way there, right? The gospel changes everything. It gets into all of life. It's like it goes viral inside of us and it begins to infect every part of our lives. And that thing in us, God wants expressed everywhere in all the earth. On, um, on week one, I got a little bit nerdy with you guys, okay? I, I put a Venn diagram up. So I'm going to nerd out a little bit more and put a Venn diagram up this morning so uh, you can see just a picture of what I'm talking about. This is something that I've, it's been stirring in me as we, as we are on this journey of we are the church. I really want us to understand our identity in the midst of both God and the church. I want you to see how your life intersects both God and the church. So if you're looking at this diagram, you see these three spheres and there's God in that very top um, circle. And just remember this, God has a mission, right? He, in that circle, he's, he's on mission. The Spirit of God is at work right now, all over the world, all over the city. He is on mission right now. 
And then this church, right, this, and the, the, the circle over there, that's the, the gathering, the assembling of God's people. And he is handing that baton. They're, they're joining in the very mission of what Jesus has come to do. But then there's that last circle where you and I reside. And I think the, the challenge for us is to begin to say, okay, yeah, 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 okay, God has a mission, got it, perfect, beautiful. The church is on that mission, amen, yeah, let's do it. But what about me? What about me? How do we begin to embrace God's mission in our individual lives? Because here's what I believe. When, when that gospel begins to work, right, it's, it's drawing us into the church. It's drawing us into the Father. That, that gospel is, is active in us, right, that, that DNA that gets down into us. And it brings us into this, what I call the sweet spot, right in the middle, where, where I am interacting with God personally and I'm joining in his mission and yet I'm vitally connected to a church that's on the very same mission and the winds of the spirit blow and we begin to see the kingdom of God break forth in beautiful, radical, amazing, redemptive ways. This, my friends, is where God is leading us into this place where we and God and the church collaboratively join in the great commission. It's the co-mission where we partner together with the Father. See, God's mission is the church's mission, and it also means that God's mission is my mission. When you become a believer in Christ, you're typically called a Christ follower. That's a term that we use when we say I, I'm a Christian or I'm a Christ follower. That, that word follower is what, where we get the word disciple. If you think about those disciples, they literally just walked behind Jesus. They were following him around. And, and to believe in him is to follow him. And I think we have to ask the question, where is he going? Where is Jesus going? And I believe that Jesus is still going to the poor. He's going to the enslaved. He's going to the blind. He's going to the ones that are in captivity. And if you're going to follow him, hang on, <laughs> because he's going to lead you into the very same things. His mission has to become my mission. I am a gospel bringer. You are a gospel bringer. He's inviting us into his mission. I think the question for us is, will we follow him there? We had a friend um, years, years ago. We were in a church in Round Rock. Uh, Zach and April were there with us as well. We were serving there. And we asked them, hey, can, can we start a, a community group? We didn't have house churches there. We, we asked them, can we start a community group? And they're like, yeah, yeah, go for it. So we start this community group, and we start meeting some other families in the church, and, and we're joining together. And a, a girl starts coming to church, and we meet her. We say, hey, we have a group. Come join us. She's like, oh, great. And we're loving on her. Well, she's married, and her husband like doesn't want to come to church. Now, ladies, if you're married and your husband doesn't want to come to church yet, 
I just say, he's, he's like, he's almost about to be ruined. Like, God's going to work through you. It's, it's too late for him. It's over. Game over. He's going to get there eventually. I just believe there's something powerful about that. And so this, this girl is coming, and she's, she's really receiving from our community. And her husband's like, you like going to church? She's like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, it's amazing. I feel so loved, and it's just, it's just fantastic community. He's like, all right, all right, well, I'll come. I'll come sometime, right? Well, finally he comes. We all meet him. Some guys start reaching out to him, and then he starts coming into our group. And this dude was tatted up. He was ex-military. He was trying to get a SWAT team job. I mean, this dude was tough, right? You saw him like, I, I would not want to catch this dude wrong in, in a dark alley. Like, this guy could kill me in a hundred ways in like five seconds, right? He is legit. And uh, so this guy starts coming to our community group. And for whatever reason, I think um, uh, either God or my wife had uh, revealed to me that I had not been the best husband that week. I don't know, men, if you've ever had that happen, like either the Spirit of God or your wife will remind you, right, that you haven't been the best husband that week. And so I'm here with the guys, and this dude's come for the first time, and I just lead in with this question. Hey, I've just found in my own life that, you know, a lot of times I'm not loving my wife the way that Christ loved the church. How do you guys deal with that? And so the guys begin to open up and talk about their relationship, and all of a sudden this big tatted-up army dude begins to share with us about his relationship with his wife, and then at the end, he says, I could never talk about this with my army friends. I, I, they would never understand this conversation. Well, guess what? That dude became a follower of Jesus. Over time, over people loving him, what happened was individuals took hold of this mission of Jesus and began to reach out to this guy. He got brought into a community, a church that was on the very same mission, that were just loving him, just being gracious with him. And the work of God was happening, the mission of God was happening on the inside of him. And when that happened, he became an amazing follower of Jesus. In fact, even to this day, he's an amazing man. He loves his family, loves his kids, leading his home, just an amazing man of God. Because that's the church where we together and individually embrace the mission of Jesus. In uh, the very first week of this gathering, I shared a story with you guys of how God called me into this. In, uh, in that same place in Round Rock, I was praying one night. I'd had a, if you've ever had a, a, an angst in your soul where you just feel like there's something else, something more that you're, you're about to do. You just feel like everything's about to change in your life. I don't know if you've ever been that before. I've been there before. I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord, uh, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And that night, as I was praying, I had one of those holy moments where you sense the, the Lord speak, not like audibly, but the still small voice of God. And he said to me, plan a church. I said, Lord, what do I call it? He said, Renaissance. Now, I don't know why I asked that question. It's a silly second question, but that's what he said. He said, Renaissance. <laughs> and then I asked this third question. I've, I haven't shared this with you guys yet. I said, Lord, what do I begin to pray for now? 
And in that moment, I just sensed the Lord begin to speak to me about uh, 3,000 groups to reach 20,000 people. Now, I tremble a little bit when I say that because that's like, what? 3,000? Like, that's, that's huge, right? That's a God-sized vision. That's bigger than me. That's bigger than one church. That takes the planting of churches and the multiplying of what God's doing here. But here's the thing is I believe that down in his heart, the Spirit of God already has 20,000 people picked out that are poor in their spirit, that are enslaved, that are being held captive, that are being blinded, right? They have that blinder on their heart, and already God is wanting to draw them. He's moving in their life, and he's raising up a people who will join him in that mission. Renaissance Church, let's join him in his mission, his mission is our mission. So I want to close with this. What about you? Has God's mission reached you? Is there a place in you that's just poor? Like, I'm just poor in my spirit. Is there a place in you where you're just like, I'm, I'm held captive. I just feel enslaved. Is there a place in you where you're like, I'm just, I feel blinded, like I don't get it, I don't see it, I don't know, I don't understand what you're talking about when you talk about Jesus and knowing him. Has God's mission reached you? Because here's the thing, the very things that repel us from one another are the things that make him lean in. And I believe that in those very places, the place that you want to hide from people, the, place, the places that embarrass you are the very things where Jesus wants to minister to you. And I want to pray for that this morning. Why don't we pray together right now? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.